0: hey everybody welcome to true crime paranormal with the psychic sisters i'm christy brower here with my sister co-host and partner in crime katie weber hey katie hello how's it going that's going great. How's it going down there? I, don't I know. know I'm so I much higher, higher than you on the video.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, no, I tried to sit up a little bit taller. Yeah, like sit up really <laughs> straight, all kind of loud. There you go. That's funny. I am good. We camped all weekend and we did. gorgeous uh, beginning autumn weather. And yeah. yeah, what can I say? I mean, I know. It was a lovely weekend. Lovely. Mm-hmm. Had a great time. We are well, back now. now. One of our favorite cousins and her yes. husband came and joined us. And so we rarely get to see them. It was so much fun. It yeah. was. Yeah. All it was good. so nice. Yeah. I, I agree. All very good. Well, we had a moose run right through camp. We did. Yes,
0: we did. And um, uh, good that, company. Was, that was about all of the uh wildlife we really had, you know, which was kind of okay. because
1: You know, today we took a... We we had took a side by side ride, you know. Do you know what those guys you know, like a razor. Yeah, a ball. razor. Yeah. And we came across a bunch of turkey vultures. Oh really? Yeah, there were seven. And they were uh like circling this cliff. And so then I had to look it up because what is a flock of turkey vultures?
0: Oh goodness, what what is it? Awake. Awake. I was uh-huh. thinking it was gonna be a funeral reference of some mm-hmm. sort. A wake of turkey vultures. Well, that's yeah. interesting.
1: So that was kind of fun. I don't know uh, whose funeral they were you know attending but <laughs> there must have been something dead that they were going after because there was a whole bunch of them all together but that oh, was there must cool. have been that
0: is very interesting. How cool. Mm-hmm. Well, this is our Monday case first case of the week. And we realized that there is an American serial killer, a very well-known American serial killer. We have not covered yet. Uh And that is Gary Ridgway, the Green River Killer. And so we decided we probably should have a little convo about Brody old (laughs) Mm Ridgway.
1: Super, super yucky guy. Yeah.
0: Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Super yucky. However, um, important to remember uh, for the sake of his victims uh-huh. And also for, I think, really, um, Ridgeway has contributed a lot to the body of learning um, about serial killers. Yeah. That helps because he he functioned for a long time. It took him it took uh, the police in Washington a long time to catch him. Mm-hmm. And he has a very large victim list.
1: Oh, my God.
0: But there's a lot of things that we have learned about serial killers or about this particular kind of serial killer from yeah. Gary Ridgway. And I. that's one of the things that I always feel like for me as a true crimer is understanding different kinds of serial killers, because as we do as a society understand them and as law enforcement understands them, we can stop them faster. We can prevent them from getting started seeing some of the issues that they have um, in childhood, you know, catch them quicker that, that uh, it be aware that there is a serial killer active because it was a while before um, that was even, you know, it took a while for people to realize in uh, the uh, Seattle Tacoma area that there was actually a serial killer active. So yeah, we've learned a lot from Gary Ridgeway. So let's talk mm-hmm. a little bit about him. Do you want to tell us a little bit about his childhood?
1: Yeah, so he's this is the born... place we always go, right? Like, why Why is this creepo the way he is? And sometimes childhood experiences come into play and sometimes they don't. But he mm-hmm. does have a little weird childhood stuff. Yeah, um, he was born in 1949 in Salt Lake City. Yep. I was so curious because uh, we've had so many serial killers uh, that were Mormon. I don't he see that. There. He wasn't. Yeah, mm-hmm. but Salt Lake City, you know, took mm-hmm. me there. But no. Uh, but he actually, his family moved to Washington when he was really young, and he was raised in that uh, that SeaTac uh, neighborhood,
0: yeah, you know, near
1: SeaTac Airport,
0: mm-hmm. and.
1: So he had some weird sex stuff from the time he was young and was very sexually attracted to his mother and was a bed peer. And apparently every time he would pee the bed, she would wash his genitals clear up to the time he was 13 years old. And he's having all these weird, confused feelings of sexual feelings towards his mother well, she's touching him inappropriately. Like, it's it's gross. Yeah. And did that contribute to who he was? Well, I'm not going to say it didn't. I mean, come on. Yeah. Well,
0: you know, he did have a desire to, not only was he sexually attracted to her, but he also had a desire to kill her. Yes. Which is probably the combo of feeling abused
1: by her, also attracted to her. Yeah. Creepy. Yeah. He also stabbed a six-year-old boy when he was 16. Yeah. He led him into the woods, stabbed him into the ribs, and had told a psychologist later on down the road that he did that because he wanted to see what it felt like to stab someone.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Uh, low IQ. His IQ was in the low 80s. Yeah. And he was dyslexic and really struggled in school.
0: Yeah, he did. And that, you know, growing up in it just. As an angry boy who felt as though he was not accepted, you know, didn't fit. Also, I thought it was interesting that his dad was a bus driver Mm -hmm. and he used to complain a lot about sex workers on his route. Mm -hmm. So he grew up hating sex workers is really kind of the impression that I have there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, some things. But obviously, Uh yes, he did go to Vietnam and he did see combat in Vietnam. Yes. But I I feel like he had some psychopathic tendencies when he was young and Mm -hmm. then had some experiences that kind of, you know, expanded that. Because how many 16 year olds do you know that stab a child because they want to know what it feels like to stab someone?
1: I mean, that's the biggest of red flags. I mean, come on.
0: Huge. Yeah.
1: Horrifying yeah
0: yeah huge red flag and and one that hopefully now we're a little more aware of keep a little better track of someone who does something like that, but not necessarily mm-hmm. you know I think one of the problems with the Gary Ridgeways of the world is that we don't really have a good system in which we keep an eye on them yeah. from the time that they're you know we do when they're minors because yeah. he was probably on probation and you know probably had at least some eyes on him as while he was a kid, but yeah. as soon as he became an adult... Right, then what? Yeah, he went into the military, he went Vietnam. away. Yep. Who the hell knows what he did in Vietnam? We don't know.
1: Right, we don't know. We but, don't know, but we do know that his uh, first marriage only lasted a year. Yeah. Because he was soliciting sex workers and had gonorrhea. Yeah. And so, you know, it wasn't very long and his New bride, who was his high school sweetheart, had had enough of that.
0: Right. Well, and he, even though he contracted gonorrhea, he still refused to use protection.
1: Yeah.
0: With uh, sex workers, which, you know, again, there's a real lack of empathy for other human beings yeah. from him, asleep. even yeah. his own wife. Mm-hmm. Like, he probably gave her gonorrhea, you know, like, Likely. what the hell?
1: all of his wives, he was married three times, and all of his wives said that he had an insatiable appetite for sex, yes. that he wanted sex multiple times a day, and that he wanted them to come have sex in, like, public places, in yeah. the forest. After they started finding all these bodies, after they tied him to them, uh ex-wives were saying, oh, well, he made me go with him and have sex with him in that area. Like, this was <sighs> Yikes. all, like, intertwined together all of his uh, his stuff. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine his yeah. poor ex-wives? My God. No,
0: I can't. They had to know something was up with this dude, but just yeah. not, not exactly sure what was up with this yeah. dude. Yeah. Well, yeah. so let's talk a little bit through his timeline. Yeah. Um, he started killing in the 70s just trying to remember when his when he murdered his first victim sorry i have had a migraine today you guys and it has effect oh okay so i guess i'm off 82 uh 82 to 98 that's a damn long time span we should be doing better than that by now don't you think yeah
1: much yeah. much freaking better yeah so, well, I mean, we do, typically, because of DNA.
0: Right, right. And it, it DNA becomes ironic in this case. Yeah, Yes, it really is. So on July 15th in 1982 is when his first victim was discovered, and that was Wendy Caulfield. Mm-hmm. She was 16. She was found floating in the Green River in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And over just the next few weeks they would find four more bodies around that river. Yeah. And so this is kind of the point where they start thinking, "Hmm, we seem to have a serial killer at work here. (laughs) So that's when they set up the Green River Task Force, because they call him the Green River Killer, because that's where his first um, kills were found. This is in King County in Seattle, or in the Seattle area in Washington. And they just keep finding more bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were finding these women that had been sexually assaulted and murdered um, over the next two years. They find more than 40 women. Yeah. And uh, Detective uh, Reichert, who was the, the, the lead on this case, said he said every time you found a body, it was like being hit on the head with a baseball bat. Because they were so frustrated with, he just is obviously continuing to kill, and they have nothing. But
1: also in 1982, look who got arrested? Yeah, for guess what? Crimes associated with frequenting sex workers. Right, right. They had him in the
0: periphery. Yeah, yeah. They had him a few times, unfortunately. Yeah. Before they really had him.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: yeah. So the first time that they questioned him is in 1983. Yeah. And they ask him about Marie Malver because he's known, you know, he's had this arrest now. He's known to be frequenting prostitutes in the area. Yeah. And he said he didn't know any of the victims and they didn't really have any evidence to connect him. Other than, on the day that they um, questioned him, he had scratch marks on his arm from Marie Malver. And he, like, just kept his arm out of sight the whole time they talked to him. Oh. And after that, he burned his arm with battery acid to cover those scars. Oh, my God. Yeah. So they talked to him, but they don't have anything on him. But they're wondering. So then in May of 1984, he... <laughs> freaking passes a polygraph you know (laughs) again we know polygraphs not super helpful no not not you know admissible in court and and you get stuff like this where gary Ridgway passed his and yet he's still killing all of these women and the reason that he had one he actually contacted the police himself mm-hmm. and wanted to help out yeah. because he they knew he knew that they knew that he was frequenting prostitutes. So this was his kind of his way of subterfuge that really worked. Yeah, because he had a polygraph where they asked if he killed any of those women and he said no and he passed. Yep. Yeah. So like, what the hell, you know? So they just yeah. keep working, you know, they're they're working on trying to catch him. And in 1986, Ted Bundy steps forward and says he thinks he has some information about this case. Mm-hmm. I find this very interesting because he actually they didn't reach out to him. He reached out to Reichert about it and said yeah. that he, th- he thought he had some information. Mm-hmm. So Reichert went to Florida where, you know, Bundy was obviously on death row at this point. And he said that he was pretty sure that whoever this killer was, was revisiting his victims and having sex with them. Yep. Which did turn out to be true.
1: Mm-hmm. Creepy. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, no, I... It was oh, go a ahead. public service. Right, right.
1: He was visiting his victims and having sex with them, you know, necrophilia, because uh, that would help to uh, slow down his appetite to have sex with live ones. So he was saving lives,
0: guys. Right. He was also trying to kill fewer people so he would have less attention on him. But, yeah, it was like, oh, I was helping out by not murdering as many young women. Yes. Well, and Bundy, you know, I, I did a little more research into this and, and really the theory is that um, Bundy saw a lot of himself in, in uh, Gary Ridgeway. And also that he just kind of felt left out that, you know, he was a, he was a caught and convicted serial killer and this guy was still out there having fun. And so at least he got to be involved somehow, yeah. but he did end up being correct
1: mm-hmm.
0: about that, which, yeah. you know, is horrifying. Mm-hmm. So that leads us then to 2001. And remember started in 82. Yeah. So way too 19 long.
1: years later. Yes. Multiple task forces later. Yeah. Uh, a pretty interesting period of working with Ted Bundy later because they did actually work with Ted Bundy for a time, you know, cause he was already in prison, you know, yeah. cause he's a serial killer. Right. And Bundy was helping them to uh, put together a profile of who the killer might be. Right. Yeah. Also, with all of the insights he provided, again, kind of helped to help to start putting together a more uh, concrete idea of what serial killers operate like. Yes. Uh, Yeah. It it was helpful. It really shed a lot of light on
0: Bundy himself. But yeah, and other serial killers, too. Yeah. Definitely helped with uh, profiling. So in 2001, you know, DNA got a little better by then. Yeah. So they, they went through all their evidence and they rinsed all the fingernails of all of the bodies that they had mm-hmm. uh, to try and find some trace evidence. Mm-hmm. And they were able to find a few sperm clinging to one girl's pubic hair, which that is so gross. And I am Mm -hmm. so sorry, I even had to say that out loud. However, he had given a saliva sample in 1987, you know, back when he was being a real servant to the public doing his polygraph to make sure that they knew it wasn't him. Mm -hmm. And he matched three victims. So that's when they do finally arrest him. He's 52 at the time, you guys. Yeah. He's been going since he was in his 30s. It's mm-hmm. just horrifying. And
1: that's what we know of. You know, right. it, he could have started before that. He could have been killing people in Vietnam for all we know. Right. So, you know,
0: this is just like very, you um, know, in, in very, you know, kind of a small geographic area.
1: Yeah. Well, so, also, oh, Dave oh, Reichert is one of the investigators, he's the one that really calls forward, wants to do DNA. This is brand new tech at the time. And he's like, let's do it. Let's take a look. He was one of the very first investigators on the green river killer. Right. And then was off it for quite a while, but had just never been able to really uh, be off of it. Right. Because this is your community. And well, he's the one that went and talked to Bundy. Yes. And you're, you're watching all of these people being murdered. And, you know, anyway, so he's the one who finally uh, gets DNA going and finally gets the match.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine if you started out on a serial killer case like this, you would never be able to let it go as an How? investigator. How, How could you? you? Yeah. Yeah. You'd never let that go. No. I, I know I couldn't. No. So in November of 2003, he pleads guilty. <laughs> and he pleads guilty to avoid the death penalty. And at the time he pleads to 48 charges of aggrav- aggravated first degree murder. Yeah. He said, I killed so many women. I had a hard time keeping them straight. Yeah. He did admit that he killed most of his victims in his house mm-hmm. or truck before disposing of the bodies, which I found interesting because where were his wives around those, you know? Yeah. Um, In most cases, he did not know his victims' names. He did not see them as human beings. This was definitely a, uh, and something else that they learned from Bundy through all of this is, you know, Mm -hmm. that he doesn't see them as people. His victims aren't humans to him.
1: Well, and so many of them were discarded in places like landfills or near landfills and things like that a lot of them were discarded and covered with garbage yeah and stuff because truly they were just throwaways to him they were garbage sometimes
0: multiple bodies were discarded at the same time Mm -hmm. and a lot of them were only found once they were bones and so they had so little evidence to go on yeah just ugh. he also said most of the time i killed them the first time i met them and i do not have a good memory for their faces yep
1: yeah However, these are their faces.
0: Yes. Most of them. There are still, I think there are still two unidentified.
1: Well, there's one that was actually identified this year. Oh, that's right. There were two. Mm -hmm. Now there, yeah. Now there's only one left. And this was uh, Wendy Stevens. She was from Denver. She ran away went to Seattle. She was reported missing in 1983. She was 14. Oh my god. Her remains were found about a year after she was killed. So yeah, they're still working on this case. Yeah. Oh yeah, they they want to identify
0: all of his victims and give them their faces and names back because he took that from them. Yeah. Um he did say that he chose sex workers because they were easy to pick up without being noticed. I knew they would not be reported missing right away and might never be reported missing. Yeah. I picked prostitutes because I thought I could kill as many of them as I wanted without getting caught. Yeah. Sadly, he was he was wrong about that, but he was also right about that because he was sure able to kill a lot of them before he was oh, caught.
1: Yeah. Well, and clear back in the 80s when these murders started and they were started identifying them as sex workers. they There were two main areas that the women were from in the Seattle area. One was called the Strip and the other, I believe, was downtown. But at any rate, uh, as police were heading down to these areas to talk to women, of course, they had a really hard time getting them to talk to them and right. trust them because they didn't trust them, you know. No. This case, to me, makes the case for legalizing sex work. Because mm-hmm. in so many ways, I mean, from the very beginning, we have this man who is having sex with all of these uh, sex workers and he has gonorrhea, you know, yeah. and doesn't care and it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything to him. Uh, and in legalized sex work, things like that aren't allowed to happen. Mm-hmm. But more than that, this area, this breaks my heart. How many of these girls were 14, 15, 16 yeah. children, children. Yeah. that were had run away from home and were living on the streets and were sex workers because why? Because it was paying. It was keeping them the food in their mouth. Right. It was they probably also just- keeping drugs in their body, you know, to some degree. I mean, there's a lot of reasons. But this case to me, made, as I was listening to it, I went, this is why sex work needs to be legalized in this country. Yes. Because so that we actually know what's happening and so that these women when they started interviewing women it was horrifying how many of them said oh well maybe it's this guy i he picked me up last you know month or or last uh week or whatever and took me out in the woods and and raped me viciously it's happening to all of them not just by him because they, they can't report
0: because yeah. what they're doing is illegal. So they can't yeah. report. They don't want to talk to the police. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I agree. Yeah. Um, legalization and regulation brings safety. Yeah. And it also means that people aren't afraid to talk to the police if they're yeah. you know, and report if something bad is happening. But right. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm so effing tired of these gross men who think that because young women are working in sex work Mm -hmm. that they don't matter as human beings or that anyone working in sex work doesn't matter as human beings. No, that's wrong. That's 100% wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And Gary Ridgway is the poster child for that. Oh yeah. Well, he was ultimately sentenced uh, to life in prison, 48 life sentences. Mm -hmm. to be conserved consecutively with no possibility of parole. I was in King County and uh, he is still in prison.
1: He was transferred, I guess, for a while to Colorado. Uh, And people in Washington were like, no, uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh. He gets to come back here and continue to face the music. And the public outcry was enough that they brought him back to Washington. um, Partly because they're are still open cases. There are still discoveries being made. So he doesn't just get to waltz off to another state that uh, might be a better situation. Right. Initially he was in solitary for a long time for his safety when he first went to
0: prison. I am sure. Gosh, having been active for that long, you can't, you know, you can only imagine how many people were in prison with him that maybe knew someone he killed, you know, like in that area yeah it's it's sad to me though that i don't know that i I don't know how i feel about this that what washington state has to pay to house this moron for the rest of his life because he was 52 when he was arrested so he's Mm -hmm. got a lot of life left you know
1: Mm
0: -hmm. he's not he's you know older now but still he's he could live a lot longer yeah yes he could and it's very possible that he actually killed more than seventy-one women. Yeah, totally. He, he they may, may he still continue really seem to know. Yeah, no, he doesn't. And so over time, with DNA, old mm-hmm. cold cases could be attributed to him because mm-hmm. he oh, doesn't definitely. actually even know he didn't know the names of his victims.
1: You know. Yes. Here's a concern, though. Mm. At the time, every murder that came up, they were like, "Well." There you have it. Mm -hmm. Green River Killer. Green River Killer strikes again. Yes, he committed a ton of murders, but it still makes you wonder if his murders became a wastebasket for other people's murders, too. You know, because it was very easy to just
0: say it was him. Well, and it's yeah, it is easy because so many of these bodies weren't discovered until they were bones. Yeah. And they had no evidence and he can't even give their names. And so he's basically pled guilty no to a number. And yeah. yeah. Someone else could have been functioning at the same time as him. Yeah. And and gotten away with what they've done because everything got attributed to him. I think there are fears of that for some uh some people. I know, think particularly there should be people yeah. who really focus on and specialize in serial killers. Like, mm-hmm. wait a minute, we don't actually have There's only DNA evidence on three Mm -hmm. murders. Yeah. So.
1: Now, he says he probably killed 71, and he's probably not wrong. You know, there's probably more than that. But he also says he's not 100% sure if that's the right number. Yeah. Yeah. I know. That worries me. The whole time Mm -hmm. I went through this investigation, I kept feeling like some of these weren't him. Some of them weren't him, and he's going to get... Uh, it's easy to pin them all on him and have a clean slate. And I don't care if he gets them pinned on him. I mean, yes, put him in prison forever. You know, the death penalty was probably fine for this guy, right? But uh, yeah. but if other killers walk free because of it, that's really scary.
0: Right. It It is. It is. And certainly one of those things we won't know. He He's been touted as one of, if not the most prolific serial killer in the U.S.,
1: uh, yeah. Not
0: true. Samuel Little's head count, I think, is
1: 103. Right. He can be one of, for sure. But one of. Yeah. He didn't come anywhere near Samuel Little.
0: No. No, but Samuel Little was a real, um, you know, behind-the-scenes kind of serial killer because oh, yeah. nobody knew how many people yeah. he had killed. Uh, it, yeah. you know, it's he because he killed people all over the U.S. That mm-hmm. we will never know how many for sure Samuel Little has killed. No. But, you know, that could also be true of Gary Ridgway.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Blah. I can't imagine living in that area during that time and constantly seeing in the news more bodies turning up. Like, can you imagine how that must have felt? Horrible. Horrible. Yeah.
0: It, It had to be terrifying. I'm sure it felt horrible as the task force also, like oh, oh yeah. well here's another body and yeah you guys are doing a great job mm-hmm.
1: yeah well and there was so much scrutiny of the police and of the task force and oh. it was rebuilt multiple times people lost their jobs they were reassigned nothing worked and yeah they the police were uh, were made you know public mockery was made out of them because they weren't getting the job done. Mm. And people that uh, you know, forensics or, or not forensics, but uh, criminal uh, psychologists, and you know, people that were analyzing this case from the outside, looking in, were writing books and op eds and stuff, criticizing the hell out of them and the way they were doing things. Oh, I it yeah. just, uh, well, maybe they deserved it. I'm not saying they didn't, but you know, wow, what a horrible, horrible case to have to be involved in.
0: Most definitely. Most definitely. And I I think the only thing that we can do with a case like this one is learn from it. You know, learned a lot about Gary Ridgeway. You know, one thing they learned is that serial killers can pass polygraph tests. You know, one of the things you got to think about is he has no emotional reaction to these murders. Mm -hmm. He doesn't feel bad about them. He doesn't have guilt or shame that might show up in a change in physical response. Not at all. I think that um, we we need to be really careful with polygraph Mm -hmm. testing of serial killers because they do not have the same kind of physical and emotional response to dishonesty as, you know, non-psychopaths. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think we learned a lot from Gary Ridgway and continue to, which is good.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but well, he's wow. given
1: lots of interviews over the years. You know, he has not mm-hmm. sat silent. He's given lots of interviews, too.
0: Well, sure. He's got to be in the limelight somehow.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, i been interviews and things. Ah, some serial killers don't, you know, they won't speak to anybody. But not, mm-hmm. not a lot of. Gary, which is good because uh, the more we can learn from him, the better off we are moving forward. But yeah, for sure. this case, my God. Yeah.
0: Pretty. It's
1: got a big yikes factor. That's for
0: sure. It does. No. Well, that's Gary Ridgway, you guys. This is Monday. We will be back with two more new cases this week Uh plus tomorrow night. So this will be, uh, Tuesday, and it will be the 14th of September, we will be doing our very first True Crime Cold Read party. So this is our new membership that you can join on YouTube. And if you join, then you are invited to come to the live stream on Tuesday at 7 p.m. Mountain. You can throw cases at us and yeah. you can throw a, every, every, uh, member gets to throw one case at us per per cold read party and we will do a cold read on it in Mm -hmm. in the live stream so we're going to do our very first one tomorrow night so you can join that just by going to our homepage on youtube and clicking join and then you'll see what our membership options are there and it's the very Mm -hmm. first one Um, if you are already a member of spirit school you get this for free this is just a bonus for you yeah so you can come as well. And we're really excited. This will be our first one and we want to yeah. grow this. And you know, it it's it's hard to get to every case everybody wants us to do. And we thought this is another way that we can do that, you know, mm-hmm. and and do some some cold reading. So I think it'll be really fun. Me too. I'm very excited to see what comes. You know, what too. cases come. Yeah. Yeah. What cases come? Are we gonna get some famous stuff? Mm-hmm. Are we gonna get well, a lot of just local to somebody's community
1: stuff? Yeah, exactly. That's Yeah. That was my thought.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like personal, like you knew this person, they were in your family or they lived in your neighborhood kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Whatever you want to bring us, you got to bring us a couple of sentences of information and you have to have a question. What is your question about this case? And yeah. we will give you our answer. So yep. we're very excited right? about that. Yeah. And yeah. then of course, uh, Wednesday we have our, uh, Wednesday Night Case Update, our live stream, and our Psychic Hour live stream on Thursday. That's also uh, our live stream there as well. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know. We're going to have a lot of fun this week. So oh, be set, sure huh? yeah. to hang around, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you guys know it. We are True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. Thanks for being here.
1: Take care.